Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is Season 7 of Guerrilla Christianity. My name is Pastor Brett Walker, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Guerrilla Christianity, an unconventional no-apologies exposition of God's grace from an evangelical Methodist point of view. Now, the Word of God is central to all we believe, so let's get into God's Word right now. During the season of Lent, we're in a series called Selah, Life in a Minor Key. A few weeks ago, we examined that word, sila. What does it mean? It's a word that is not translated, but transliterated in from the Hebrew. We have no translation of that word. Uh, but there is some speculation as to what it means because of the context in which it is used. It's believed that it's used as a musical marker, a musical direction, a pause, a silence, a reflection, tells the worship leader, this is a time when you should stop and give people time to consider what they've just heard or what they've just sung. And so, Selah, life in the minor key. We are going to be looking at the Psalms uh, all throughout the season of Lent. And today, our reading comes from Psalm 32. Psalm 32, which if you are following along in your pew Bible, is found on page 506. Let us hear the word of the Lord for us today. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away, through my groaning all day long, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, and it marked the beginning of the Lenten season. Uh, On Ash Wednesday, we talked about David's sin of adultery and murder in the case of Bathsheba and Uriah. We looked at Psalm 51, which is David's song of confession for that sin. 
In it, David pours out his heart and lays himself bare. You see, true repentance involves two things. Number one, it involves a confession of sin. The word confession means that we agree with the allegations or the charges that are brought against us. When someone is arrested for some crime, they can confess to the crime, which means, yes, I did it. So we confess our sin. But the second part of repentance is turning away from that sin and turning back to God. Consider the story of the prodigal son. Here was a young man who told his father, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance. He took his inheritance. He ran away to the city. He squandered it on fast living. And then when the money was gone, his friends disappeared. He found himself in with the pigs, envying the slop that the pigs were eating. And he said to himself, in my father's house, there are servants who eat better than this. I'll go back to my father and I'll tell him, I am no longer worthy to be your son. Take me back as a hired hand. That's confession. But the other part of confession is that he returned to his father. And what are we told in that story? That his father was watching, waiting for him to return. And when he saw his son coming back, he got up, he ran to his son, he embraced him. And he's, his son is there trying to get his confession out. Father, I have sinned against you and against God, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me back as a hired servant. And his father says, Today we feast, for my son was dead, and now he is alive. He was lost, and now he is found. And that's how God treats each one of us when we also confess and repent of our sin. The first word in the psalm is happy, but the word is also used as blessed. King James renders it as blessed. The English Standard Version renders it as blessed. Happiness tells us what we think of blessing. If you've ever seen that hashtag, hashtag blessed. Well, how are we blessed? The mark of being blessed is being happy according to our standards. But the word blessed, by the way, I know how much you wanted to know this. I'm going to give you the Hebrew. I, you know, I only look these things up for you, okay? So I'm glad. Good. Good. <laughs> I only look these things up because you keep bothering me. You want to know the Hebrew and the Greek. I looked up the Greek too. Look at that. So anyway, the Hebrew word is eser. Eser. Which, in another instance, it means prosperity. Prosperity. Blessing. Happiness. Now, this is what I found interesting. I found it interesting. You probably won't. But the Hebrew Bible has also been translated into Greek. We call that the Septuagint. Okay? The Greek word that is used in the place of Eser is makarios. And that's important to us because that is the word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount when he said 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Makarios. This speaks to people being blessed by God. You see, when we bless God, we bow down to Him. That's a totally different Hebrew word, barak. But when God blesses us, it's eser. It brings us happiness. It brings us joy. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. These first two verses talk about the blessings of being forgiven sin. Forgiveness comes with confession and repentance. God does not forgive unconfessed or unrepented sin. Why would He? Would you? Think about that for a second. If somebody uh, does something against you, but is not sorry, he doesn't repent, he doesn't confess, or he doesn't admit it. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And you know what? Even if I did, I was justified. That's not repentance. That's not confession. And so why would we forgive someone like that? Neither will God forgive someone who does not repent of their sin. When David kept his sin to his, himself, he said that God's hand was heavy on him. This is what he said. While I kept silence, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then he gives us this instruction, Selah. Pause. Consider that for a moment. What are we considering? That it is blessed to be forgiven of our sin. And when we keep silent, when we don't confess our sin, that sin goes unforgiven. This is what God himself proclaimed in Exodus chapter 34 when his glory passed before Moses. God himself said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? We see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that in some of the kings of Israel that, that God says to the third and the fourth generation, this, the sin of the father will be visited on his children because he, he did not repent of his sin. The reason that David was a man after God's own heart was not because he was perfect. He certainly was not. He made mistakes. We see that in the Bible. But the reason he was a man after God's own heart is because he knew that when he made those mistakes, that, he, that they were big. And he confessed in, in Psalm 51, he said, Against you and you only have I sinned and done all this iniquity. Against you and you only. And so that is David's confession. Verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not hide my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then again the psalmist tells us, 
Selah. Pause and consider what we just read. This one verse shows David confessing his sin before God and God forgiving David. Because repentance is not the mere admission of guilt, but it's also a turning away. When Nathan the prophet came to David, we are told in 2 Samuel that Nathan accused him of this great sin. What was the sin? For those of you who were not here on Wednesday, David saw Bathsheba. He lusted after her. He was told that she had a husband. The husband was a faithful soldier in David's army. And David took her anyway, had extramarital relations with her. She became pregnant. Now he has to hide that sin. But again, in, in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, we read that you're be, you know, be sure that your sin will find you out. In other words, we can try and hide it from each other, and we might even get away with it, but you will never hide it from God. God sees everything. And so he brings Uriah back from the front of battle. He, he first he tries to entice him to go down to his, his, uh, his house to have relations with his wife so that he might think that the baby is his. That doesn't work. Then he gets him drunk, and he tries to get him to go down, but instead he stays right where he is. So now David writes a message to General Joab at the battlefront. He says, when you receive this, take my servant Uriah, place him in the thick of the battle, and then withdraw your troops so that he is killed. Rolled it up, put it in Uriah's hand, and Uriah carried his death sentence faithfully to Joab. Joab carried out his instructions to the letter, sent back to David, it's done. The wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, she mourns. And then when a period of mourning is over, David takes her into his house as a gracious king. And he marries her. Fast forward to Nathan, the prophet, comes along and comes, tells a story about a poor man. He has nothing but this little ewe lamb. And the little ewe lamb was like a family member to him. He loved this little ewe lamb better better uh, scraps from his table you know meanwhile there was a rich man a rich man had flocks and flocks and herds and when a visitor came to the rich man instead of taking one of his flocks he took the little ewe lamb from the poor man and slaughtered it for the visitor that's what nathan told david david says huh that man will be put to death and he's going to pay it back four times. And Nathan said to him, you are the man. You are the man. And then he tells him, he gives him a message from God. You have sinned against God. And I'm going to bring calamity upon you. You tried to hide this. You tried to do it in secret. But in, in, in broad view of everyone, men will come and they will take your wives. And then David says this, I have sinned against the Lord. But that's not all he said. You can read the full confession in, in Psalm 51. But Nathan then said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Think about that. Because David humbled himself, he lowered himself, he confessed his sin, he turned away from it. Because in 1 John chapter 1 and verses 9 and 10, we read that if we confess our sins... 
God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have to confess our sin. That's why when we come to the, uh, con- to the communion table, we are confessing our sin to God. Now in the third section, uh, verses 6 and 7, Therefore let all who are faithful offer prayer to you at, at a time of distress. I'm sorry. Therefore let all who are faithful offer prayer to you, comma, at a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. And what does that mean? When we are quiet and alone, this is the time to call out to God. Don't wait until calamity strikes or only pray to God in times of crisis, but always and everywhere lift up your prayers to God and He will keep you through the times of distress and testing. You are a hiding place for me, He says. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. And then the psalmist once again tells us to pause and reflect on that. Selah. When we are quiet and alone, we, we spend time in prayer. If we have a regular conversation with God in times when we don't need anything, when all we're doing is just Telling God, thank you for this day. Thank you for my life. Thank you for everything that you give to me. We pray to God and we have a conversation with him on a regular basis. If we only pray to God in times of crisis, I'm not saying that God won't hear, but think about if you never talk to your neighbor for 20 years and then you go next door and say, hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? He'll be like, who are you? I don't know who you are. That's how we treat God sometimes. We only talk to Him when we need something. Rather than than praying to Him and pouring out our hearts when things are good. In Psalms 69 and verse 13 says, But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Now verse 8 I will instruct you. This is God speaking back to David inspirationally. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Now God is speaking to the psalmist and he's also speaking to us. God instructs us by his Holy Spirit. He doesn't steer us like a horse, which is a beast of burden that has no understanding. He doesn't have to pull our head to one side or to the other. But he speaks to our hearts by our conscience. The word conscience means, con, think of con and science. Con is with and science is knowledge. Our conscience means that we are with knowledge of God's morality, God's will. He puts that in our hearts. Isaiah chapter 30 and verses 19 to 21 says, He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher, 
and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. That means God is always guiding us. And sometimes the ways of the world will try to pull us in one direction or another. But God says, no, stay on the straight and narrow. And as long as God keeps guiding us by our conscience, as long as God keeps showing us the way, we know that he is with us. Now the book end to verses 1 and 2 is verses 10 and 11. Verses 1 and 2 say, Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and whose spirit, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Then verse 10 says, Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The psalmist begins by saying that we are blessed when God forgives our sin. He ends by saying that those who are unforgiven or unconfessed have many sorrows. They have no happiness or blessing. And so we rejoice in God's abundant favor and tender mercies. As we come to the communion table this first Sunday in Lent, I ask you to consider the content of your hearts. We dress ourselves up and put on a happy face. But when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, it's like carrying heavy stones in a raging river. We are weighed down by guilt. We are swept away by the current. When we confess our sin before God, we are dropping those heavy burdens and God's hand lifts us up over the white water and places our feet on solid ground. And so let us consider carefully during this Lenten season how we have transgressed against God. We confess as a body that we have not been the church that God calls us to be. Take time in the silence to make your confession before God. And God, who is gracious and merciful, will forgive you and release you from your guilt. Let us pray. Almighty God, merciful God, we rejoice in your grace and your mercy and your love that you show to us day by day. We have sinned against you, Lord, and we don't deserve your grace, but you offer it to us, and you offer it to us in the form of your Son, Jesus Christ, who willingly went to the cross to pay the price for our sins. Because you are infinite love, because you are infinite grace, because you are infinite mercy. And so, Lord, in the stillness, in the quiet, bring to mind any unconfessed sin in our lives that we may confess it and repent and turn again to you so that we may, too, be blessed as David was blessed in his confession. Help us to pick up the wreckage of our shattered lives and help us to walk in the path that you lay out for us. Be that voice behind us when we turn to the left or to the right that says, this is the way, walk in it. All this we pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this edition of Guerrilla Christianity. My prayer for you is that you have been blessed in its teaching as I have been blessed putting this message together. God has also blessed me in appointing me to serve two churches in Salem County, New Jersey, Ebenezer United Methodist Church in Auburn, and Hudson United Methodist Church in Pettertown. And if you live in the area and you don't have a church to call your own, I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings. Ebenezer meets for worship at 9 a.m., and Hudson meets for worship at 10.30. We also have Bible study during the week. Now, if you enjoy this podcast and would like to help support it, please share it with your friends and family, hit like, leave a comment, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search for Guerrilla Christianity. Keep learning, keep growing, and I pray you will join us for Guerrilla Christianity again. Until next time, remember this, Christ died for you, now go live for Christ.